0: And that first, those first five clients, those first 10 clients you have, I mean, you just need to kill yourself to make sure that they are happy and do anything you can to make sure they are happy. And then all the while be priming them to be on the mission with you. The amount of times Mm -hmm. I have used a handful of my customers to help win other deals and to give me that testimonial, to give me that video, to speak with me at a webinar, uh, you know, that is is, is, is you can't overlook that. Um, and that's, you know, I think one of the opportunities and sort of challenges that, that startup entrepreneurs face.
1: Well, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. I had to say that for Andrew because we started in French when we started talking today. But, uh, you know, I'm super duper, duper excited because uh, this is episode 40. That is 40, Sorak, as they say in Russian, of the afternoon tea. And I have an amazing guest, Andrew Reed. Um, but Andrew, before we get into this, let me set this up with a little introduction. Andrew Reed is the founder of Rival Technologies, co-founder of Rival Group and Group CEO. He also founded Vision Critical, a cloud-based customer intelligence platform provider, and industry visionary. Andrew has long been an evangelist for change and a passionate advocate for creating workplace culture people want to be a part of. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, great to be here. Oh, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. Now, I love, I mean, workplace culture is so important to us. I mean, we, we we do everything we can to make it a great work uh, a workplace a great culture somewhere that you know feels like that even if they weren't with us for 10 years they feel like hey i stamped in and i was part of that group and i'm connected to that group for a long time and that's exactly what we want to do and you know from looking at rival i know that there's definitely um well you're, you're you've definitely got the same sort of esprit de to sport uh in that but let's you know what, let's just start at, at the at the blank at the beginning at the uh at the at the, at the coin zero if you will Share with me the origin story of rival technologies.
0: Sure. So, I started Vision Critical, which is now called Alita, back in the year two thousand. And you know, my world's been all about market research, uh, really, since uh, I was born. My father started a market research company in nineteen seventy nine on our kitchen table uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I ended up, you know, sort of taking that torch and starting Vision Critical which was really all about building private online communities so brands could continually talk to their customers and learn from them. But they, we didn't have this thing in the year 2000. Uh, and so in 2016, I thought it was time to, to start again and you know, really take advantage of the things we do the most with our phones. Um, so that, so you know, we chat on our phones more than anything else. We have uh, these front-facing cameras that we're getting more and more comfortable using. Uh, And at the same time, you've got, you know, email based traditional surveys that are not the most fun. I always say like, I think we've hit (laughs) peak oil in email surveys. If you are 24 or under and you have an email account, it's probably not your primary communication device. If you are 24 or over, when you open your outlook, your first goal is what can I delete? Like the hunt to delete things is the mission we are all on because we're just overloaded with information. And so with that, you know, I felt like there was a need to change things. So we built a brand new platform that allows people to do very sophisticated uh, research, insights, customer discovery, uh, build brand loyalty uh, using chat. And it's all chat based. And, you know, we're a few years in now and we've established product market fit, And now we're in that growth phase. So it's uh, a lot of work, but exciting times.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. So it was important to be mobile first when when you're thinking of um, with with Rival then.
0: Yeah, mobile first for sure. I think a lot of uh especially if I look at the world of surveys, where we went from, you know, the the, the pencil and paper survey in, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s to getting into the telephone where, you know, is your democratic opportunity in a democratic society <laughs> for someone to call you and ask for your opinion. So when that phone rang, it was kind of interesting to talk to someone. But suddenly, mm-hmm. being on the internet, where uh, you know, where where you have to actually want you have to opt in to participate in something, and, and the world gets more difficult. And I feel like uh, my industry has just kept shrinking the screen, shrinking the screen, and eventually mm-hmm. shrinking the screen doesn't work. You have to actually rethink, you know, the mode of uh, input. And and chat works just so well. And uh, Mm -hmm. chat very much uh, gets people in the right mindset to want to, I think, give thoughtful
1: responses and have this two way conversation. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I mean, I love, I mean, we started our company around the same time, but like mobile was so big. And when you can think of a mobile first architecture and the offering, um, you know, and leaving web Behind you know or, or that that desktop um especially in the context of what you know of, of how you're trying to talk to people I mean when you when you said what you said, I'm thinking about my you know my my son and my daughter who they don't even have email like you know but they are connected to their devices and how do you have that conversation uh, and build a community well I, I it sounds like you're doing that
0: well and I think also that example of like you know your kids that don't have email like you know you think about social and that social, when it's doing its job, well, it's creating like dopamine. You're having this great experience. And Mm then the minute you translate that, transfer that to like Microsoft office or like your work environment, it's completely different. And so we need to start to merge these things together and make learning more fun, make providing feedback, more fun, make. And so finding these intrinsic motivators to get people to want to, to want to share, to want to help brands they care about. And I think that's,
1: you know, at the core of what we're trying to do. Well, because it's mobile first, or, you know, the the, the key, key device is mobile, obviously, too. Does it also make the the value of the content that much better because it's quick? It's not, it's like, it's not, I'm writing 50 pages, and I'm not going to get many responses, but it's quick, and you can get a really good gut feel from what people are saying quickly. Is that, is that beneficial?
0: Yeah, it's totally, it it, it is in the moment. And this idea of in the moment of being able to talk to people (laughs) right when they are having that experience, when I get off of an airplane and I've had a flight, the rare time where it's like, you arrive at Pearson, you're early and the flight was great. (laughs) And the service was fantastic. And the airplane was clean. That is the time to hit me up and get that feedback. Also when I'm upset and when I'm, and, and when it's late, Uh, I want to know that too. Brands know so much about what we do and can track so much with behavior that the opportunity Mm -hmm. to inject the right questions at the right time, I think is a huge opportunity that the right brands to capitalize on are going to really win off.
1: Well, that's cool. Well, can you tell me a little bit about how you have that that conversation, like where the brand can have a conversation? Is it like an API based? Do you create a community? Is it within their own? You know their own universe like say a brand like the nfl or something like that. Is it within their own universe or do you take them into your universe to have that conversation
0: so it's it's both uh so if i look at someone like uh, a couple couple of fun examples so one of our clients is revolt media that's p diddy's media company he has based out of la cool. um so before covid they were having revolt summits and they would put qr codes know, on the doors, on the seats of uh, of the venues, and they were able to use that to recruit this community. We also have, and I will do my best to give this to you so we can, if we can show it right now, that'd mm-hmm. be great. But we, we have um, some examples of, of Diddy actually posting chats on his Instagram in his stories for people to come and join Revolt Nation, which is their community. So that's a great way to, you know, take, a, take someone with a large amount of following drive people to have a really serious engagement and be able to you know communicate on a regular basis Um, so sometimes it's community where we're helping to recruit that community and then we're using sms to recontact those people over and over again and the idea being Mm -hmm. you never want to ask more than 10 questions at once this is the the the, the mechanics of chat are leave return leave return that's how it works Mm -hmm. You, you don't want to hold someone for too long you want to make it so that when they see that notification pop up on their screen, they know this is going to be really quick. It's going to be interactive. It's going to be fun. Um, let me have a handful of clients that are just putting our technology where the point of purchase is. So mm-hmm. uh, we have a direct-to-consumer brand called Human Nation, uh, which is part of the House of LR and C, which is Russell Wilson and Sierra's uh, D2C brand. They put QR codes on all their products. So when you get their product and you open it up, you right away get invited to join their community, and they use their community to help vet the products they have, the designs they use, some of their style decisions they make, uh, which is, I think, you know, a really interesting way for a brand to, to take their customers, put them to work, and to kind of close the circle of making them feel mm-hmm. really involved in the future of the success of the brand.
1: so cool. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're working with some amazing brands. I mean, you know, I, I touched on the NFL. You're touching on, I mean, Diddy. I mean, some great, you know, hip you know, I'm, 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 an old guy now. So the hip, the hipsters, I'm old nice. too.
0: We say, we say that's hip. Yeah.
1: Very good. Very good. Very good. I know someone said my dog is drip, but I don't know. I was at UBC. They said, you know what? Your dog is so drip. And I'm like, dude, my dog's wearing pajamas. I'm not so sure how drip that is, <laughs> and if that's a good or a bad thing, but thank you. Um, but you're working with like the NFL. I saw Warner brothers. I saw all these great names on your website, you know, as a Canadian company, how do you, you know, how do you open the doors to these great brands?
0: Uh, well, having done it before, uh, it's very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, going into, I think this is where I'm not going into the marketing department. We're going mostly into the insights group uh, or the, the the sort of the, the data side of things or the customer care groups and uh, those buyers specifically, and we're able to really speak their language. We're able to, you know, identify where their pain points, where the gaps are. The other side really is is, is security and compliance. I mean, everyone is so afraid of getting hacked. And I'm in the business of taking customer data, of getting attitudes and opinions and content and video testimonials from people. And so, you know, we have HIPAA compliance and SOC2 and ISO and all these certifications, which is challenging from a business perspective to run companies that have those certifications. You have to run your business in a very specific way. But that's also how you you know, get in the door um, these these brands are all faced with this sort of conundrum of they need to continue to innovate but they need to stay safe and they need to stay secure they need to pass mm-hmm. through central procurement. Um, you know one of our customers we finally onboarded that's a very large brand that I, I can't talk about yet um, it, it took us 13 months to get through procurement, 13 months. I mean, some wow. startups, how many startups started and start, failed in 13 months? Many, many. So yeah, <laughs> we have to have the stomach to know that you know, conversations I'm having today may not pay yeah. fruit until the end of Q1 or, or much later. Well, that, that's
1: what I was thinking. I mean, I was, I was expecting the answer to be, hey, we have a Rolodex of people, we can talk to them, but you're talking about, hey, we're a compliance. We're like, you really are thinking about it from the enterprise perspective right away which most startups don't even have a clue how to speak that language. So I think that's really interesting. That was not an answer I was expecting, but it's similar to our business. So that's why I think it's really interesting. Um, It's also, you know, for us, you think we're always talking to like CTOs, because again, we do the software side of things, right? But it's usually marketing. It's not like, it's not the groups you want. So I think what you just said was gold. You need to identify what groups are really, you know, requiring the service and then, have that conversation with them and don't and those, you know, burn, that, burn tracks with others.
0: And that first, those first five clients, those first 10 clients you have, I mean, you just need to kill yourself to make sure that they are happy and do anything you can to make sure they are happy. And then all the while be priming them to be on the mission with you. The amount of times mm-hmm, I have used a handful of my customers to help win other deals and to give me that testimonial, cool. to give me that video, to speak with me at a webinar. Uh, you know, that is, 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 you can't overlook that. Um, And that's, you know, I think one of the opportunities and sort of challenges that, that startup entrepreneurs face.
1: So right now, if you went into P Diddy's, you went into your phone book, you have P Diddy right there, right?
0: I don't quite yet, but I am working on, uh, you know, my, I will say my goal for the next 12 months is to get P Diddy on my cap
1: table. So if I can figure out, if I can do that, that
0: will be, uh, that'll be, that'll be, that'll be a feat. Uh, I'm not there yet though
1: you know, maybe I'm showing my age, but maybe if you look for Sean Coombs instead, it's actually already there and you don't know it, you know? Um,
0: He's he got a lot of names. I only have one, just Andrew. I spell it sometimes in different ways, but
1: I'm uh, not there yet. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Well, I have a twin brother, so I'm all over the place when it comes to being called names. Uh, though for some reason, all my profs used to call me uh, Brian. I don't know why, but um, I guess I had to show up to more classes. Well, you know, I just saw recently you guys rebranded to the rival group. What's behind that?
0: Um, So I have two, we have two companies, we have uh, a rival and I have a consultant consulting agency called reach three insights that's headquartered out of Chicago. And um, it's a great way to grow the business because uh, if you are a B2B technology company, uh, you often have a client that will be interested in what you're doing, but maybe doesn't have the expertise, the skill or requires someone to help them you know, facilitate their, their, their business situation. And so reach three uh, is, is a full serve consultancy. And then we had a parent company and that parent company was a different name. Um, it was called the Reed Campbell group. And so I just felt like, a it was just a little bit too confusing. And clearly, you know, our, our core goal is to really push this rival brand and, and rival really is all about the idea of, of embracing rivalry. We all have a rivalry within ourselves you have a rivalry within your peer group. You have a rivalry within the competitive set you you work against. And you know, I think individuals that embrace that idea of of rivalry are are, are the ones that are really equipped to do well in today's world. It's also really hard to name a company these days, and so
1: okay. uh, it was one of those ones that uh, worked out. We, we were two tall totems before, so believe me, you I know, I know about that. But, you know, it was kind of interesting because what you just touched on, I actually had a really good question around that because, you know, Rival, as, a, as you were saying, you know, it's an interesting name. It's born in competition, right? And so I wanted to ask, because you do work with your sister and with your father, is it sibling, or what, sibling. Sibling. sibling, that's when you read and don't think, is it sibling rivalries or was it, you know, just a pushback that, hey, everything's a rivalry, but you kind of already answered that. I just want to know, well, was there a family thought in that too?
0: No, it really was. It was, it was. it was one of those weeks where I was trying to figure out company names. I had a list going on. I knew what we were doing. I was driving through Stanley Park. I heard a DJ play a song on my playlist called "Rival Consoles," and I was like, hmm, nice. "That's interesting." The next day, I was skiing with some colleagues, and we kept passing each other. The speed kept getting faster and faster to the point where we're like, "Someone's gonna fall and like break their neck here." We got to the bottom and all high five each other. We realized that that rivalry created this whole new gear we didn't have and then you know I had another couple things happen that week where I was in these rivalry type situations that were friendly but that weren't they weren't they weren't war based they were more about you know getting the most out of yourself and 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 the most out of the opportunity and mm-hmm. so um so that's where it came from it had nothing nothing to do unfortunately that. with the family dynamics
1: I looked a little deep you know i got i got i got I work with my twin brothers so what do i what do I know but you know you know i'm what you just said was really interesting because you said you you know the first the first thought was at stanley park because where we got two tall totems was actually a walk through stanley park where my third co-founder josephine who's not as tall as you know my brother and i, I about six three and she's a little bit on the shorter side and we walked by the to- uh, the totem poles trying to get a name you know a feel for a name and she said well it's just like let's sit standing behind you two tall totems and we're like really oh there you <laughs> that's go. interesting so I wonder how many. I mean, I should actually put a poll out there. How many companies have gotten names due to Stanley Park? And we should never get rid yeah. of that park. That for thing is too important to right all of us. Yeah, I'm sorry. For two two for, two. There we go. Though it looks like uh, you know we had to change it because we got enterprise corporate. But uh, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that for the, for our listener. Our listener, you can see my quotes. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Well you, well you know what I just you know I just want to touch a little bit more about the family thing um because again I know that you know well I'm gonna word it the way I word it in my in, in, my, in my in my notes here so you know um again founded TTT with my twin brothers so totally interested you know and I've always worked with like I've always worked with family um and you you know as you touched on you have obviously a famous father that uh, name is synonymous with uh, with um. Um, opinion research um which makes sense, and you know you founded with your sister uh, jennifer um so are what's the benefits and what 's the drawbacks of working for of working with family for you
0: yeah family it's a it's that's a great question and i 've done it a couple of times now i mean uh, it's kind of funny because we don't we 're not the kind of family where we sit down and have some council meeting and decide we will create this company and this will be your role It doesn't work like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go and, and create this new business and I got to a point where I recognized and said, you know, I really need someone to come and help me that understands research and gets technology. And I was like, Oh, well, my sister does that. So I called her mm-hmm. and I kind of voluntold her to come and, <laughs> and, and and help me out. And of course the initial, the original pitch is like, Hey, do you mind coming and helping for, you know, I just need you for like 80 hours total. And then you can bill me and that'll be it. And, uh, and then one thing happens leads to another and, and we continue and, and we are not, uh, we're, we're super different and very complimentary. You know, I'm definitely mm. like leaning in on trends and uh, have kind of my own superpowers I bring to the table. My sister has very complimentary ones that she brings, which works quite well. And then mm. my father just sort of injects himself in any situation he wants to. So, um i understand and, that and i think the more that you are for those of you listening that may have family businesses or work with family dynamics i mean the the good news is is that there's this there's this level of trust that you you know it's hard to get any other way um you know the the, the hard part is knowing when to turn it off knowing when to separate the two not not mm-hmm. bringing your business into your your family dynamics that you have and because that can create some toxic situations. So, um, you know, my job is to try and be the transparency person where we're constantly being transparent about where we're at. And mm. um, and I think priming when you go into a conversation, trying to make sure you're pretty clear about what you want to communicate as, as early as possible. So you don't do the sneak attack. Uh, you know, mm. everyone knows if you know your brother, you know, your twin brother better than anyone else in the world. You know how to push his buttons. You also know how to. Oh, probably pul- yeah. How to wage sneak attacks um, and that can, you know, have very big uh, consequences or big follow-ons. So it's interesting. To leave for those sure. buttons alone. <laughs> yeah, you want to try and leave those buttons alone. And then you also want to, you know, you also want to try and run things like a business and that you wanna, you know, review each other and set goals. And you know, you have to have the the, the professional dynamic has to outweigh the family mm. side, because uh, otherwise I think it's hard for other people in the company to feel like they have an equal footing or that they're comfortable to say the necessary things and conduct themselves in the right way to, to, to do well. We live in a world where, especially if you're an entrepreneur, people need to take really big risks and you, know, mm-hmm. you need to be able to you know, get people comfortable with,
1: with taking those risks. For sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I had Matt Smith, uh, actually his uh, podcast just went out today, uh, founder of Two, Later and if which is incredibly impressive to have both. And of course, he works with Greg, his brother. So I actually w- touched, on, touched on this because I was intrigued as well. And this is actually just from our, I hadn't even thought about this. I'm thinking about this now. One of the questions I had is when you started the startup, um, when you started Think it with, with his brother and just put it with your sister Jennifer, how long did it take till you found your, well, a couple of the boundaries, but complementary lifestyle where you go, okay, you do that and I do that. And it's just known that that's, that's our roles. Was that like defined at the early or did that take a while to come in?
0: Uh, so we had the history of working together for six or seven years at the other company Mm -hmm. before. And so Mm -hmm. I'll just say we didn't do the best job in the first time. Um, and, 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 and part of that was due to just, you know, I was much younger then, and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it had its challenges. And so I learned a lot of lessons and did a better job of, Of when coming into this one, and I imagine the Thinkific brothers are there, it's a similar situation where you're a little older. um, I mean, Alicadia is the same kind of story, right? Christine and her sister, um, uh, you know, running that business together for a long time. And so I think as you get a little bit older, a little more mature, you're better at upfront calling out, um, you know, where you're going to collaborate, where you are polar opposites, where the potential dangers of overlap are. You do your best Mm -hmm. to you know to sort those things out and make sure you steer clear of uh uh you know the danger zones
1: the buttons you said that you know so well to push yes <laughs> so it's better to know the buttons than to push the buttons but the fact that you know where they are is a good thing too
0: it is it is and you have to really have that like love and mutual respect if you don't have that for then sure. it's not going to work
1: for sure for sure well, I, I i love that i mean i love family businesses again um I've done many startups since uh since uh, grad school and i will always work with my brother at least i feel that way so well very That's cool great. well you know what let's 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 uh let's talk about can you give me the orange story or origin story the origin story of uh, of vision critical then
0: sure vision critical i mean vision critical was an interesting it was the tail end of the 2000 dot-com boom so you know those that don't know you know we had this thing called the dot-com boom that happened in 1999 where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, technology companies had these skyrocketed values, and I happened to be, uh, I you know, and originally at the right place at the right at the right time, or maybe really the right place at the wrong time. And the fact that in '99 I was working for my father, I just finished working in interactive advertising for about three years. I was rebuilding his website. Um, I had kind of realized the whole world of market research had this huge opportunity. You know, I'd been in digital marketing, which had been on the escalator of technology and visual design. I went into market research and it was like, wow, everything is really ugly. The reports are, everything's really data driven, but there was not this sort of finesse and opportunity to make surveys more interesting for people, to make the reports more digestible. And so I started leaning in on that and fell into, originally building these virtual stores for large brands so they could test new products. If you go into like Safeway or the grocery store and you look at the laundry detergent aisle, most people don't know that Procter & Gamble owns 70% of that entire category and they're fighting against each themselves. And so um, there's a lot of sophisticated analytical techniques to figure out what's going to actually yield the most purchase. And we were using these virtual stores to do that. And I got introduced by our CFO at the time, Jim Fletcher, to Randy Garg, uh, who was at Discovery Capital, and Mm -hmm. he showed what I was up to, and we decided that it was one of those. You know, I was 23, I had no university background. It was like, hey, you're doing cool stuff. Want a company? Sure, let's do this. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) uh, They ended up putting a few hundred thousand dollars into the business. The market fell apart. You know, they wanted to shut down what I was doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I. engineered a a takeout and bought them out for a dollar and indemnified them against our liabilities and then was sort of left on my own. And I literally went through phases where I was, you know, picking up the yellow pages and calling companies, random companies and asking if they wanted a website to be built and trying to figure out how to get on government lists for RFPs. Mm -hmm. And I just uh, kind of struggled and kept the faith and kept innovating and got to a point where we fell into this opportunity with communities through a big project we did with Reebok, and uh, that was the real uh, fire that lit, and that then turned into what we grew to be. Uh, at our height, we had about over 800 employees, uh, over 100 million dollars of total revenue, and over incredible. 75 million dollars of recurring. So it was a good, good, good growth story.
1: In- incredible story. And the one thing that I love about Vision Critical too is it's kind of like you know the old PayPal mafia. Uh, you know, I would say. Vision critical, and maybe blast radius. The people I bumped to that that had their DNA in both both companies are incredible people. I gotta say. Well, Jason's um, doing
0: amazing stuff. at clue, Chris Harvest, of course, on fire with Dooley. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's a where whole lot of people that
0: are doing very, very well, and I'm, I, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I am the most proud just watching that happen, and uh, it's just so awesome to see. Success they're having, and to see that both of those folks are hiring people from the old shop to help run what they're doing, so it's uh, it's really really cool to see.
1: Isn't that isn't that great? We had we had Chris actually on the show way back. I actually went to high school with him too, which kind of shows my age, which is interesting. (laughs) Um, But well, you know what? I I just want to read from a 2018 Bloomberg article that you that you that you got quoted in, and it says it was a great experience and fun being involved in a company that had an opportunity to scale up. Reed said, "That's you. Hopefully, the second time the falls aren't as um, as far or as often. So, what lessons have you learned from the falls, and how could those lessons be translated into the success for rival technologies?" Yeah, uh, that's a great.
0: You know, I think in the failing, you know, Brian Scudmore's got that book called, you know, Mm -hmm. Fail, and he talks a lot about it. Uh, And I think you know he's a he's a great individual as well. he sure is when you're younger and i was telling something about this earlier today when you're younger and in your 20s um you often have you know a lot of confidence and this sort of reality distortion field where you just continue to plug forward and it's and it's and, and, and that was really great then you know i i think in my 40s now i've got more kind of eq and you know how to react to situations differently you know when to you know Um, I think when I was uh, younger, every single time somebody had something to say that was uh, a frustrating situation, you immediately want to put the hero cape on and go solve that problem, solve that problem, Mm -hmm. solve that problem, and versus uh, be curious and, you know, think about that for a while. Um, you know, I think I'm much better at, uh, at, we've all had these situations where you write, You write a rage email then you put it in your draft folder and you wake up the next morning, you go, thank God I didn't send that. That was like, oh, totally,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I was totally offside. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, those kinds of mistakes, um, I think owning up to everyone has their own, uh, Blind spots. Everyone has their own areas where uh, where they're not as strong. When you own up to your sort of your failures, the parts of you that uh, you know that that are not the strongest, uh, I think you can really lean on the ways that you're successful in a lot in a, in a much better way, and you can drive really unique, um, really unique outcomes. I, you know I, I get really fired up about watching people grow, and you know the reason why I wanted to start again, you know I, I definitely could have just advised some companies and invest some money and sit on some boards and that would have been fun. Um, but the experience you get when you are in the trenches with a level talent and you are growing and you are going through that and you look back after is is amazing you can't buy it you can't teach it there's no master class in it you have to just experience it and the amount of personal and professional growth you get in those situations is 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 really special and so you know that's something that i i think i slow down and appreciate more now and i can see myself Mm. slowing down and appreciating moments and people are like why are you being weird it's like because i'm just soaking up like what's actually going on right now as you cross over and it's hard whether it's whether you're trying to get from zero to a hundred thousand in revenue or you're trying to get to three hundred thousand in subscription revenue or you get to the point where you now have four dev teams instead of one or whatever those scaling milestones are you got that client you've always wanted to get Um, or you watch someone and you can see I had this moment the other day where one of my leaders was talking, and she was talking about something, and I, and, and you know the way she performed and, and acted today yesterday versus six months ago was radically different, and so this person had decided mm-hmm. to really invest in their own personal growth, and when they do that, it's it's pretty cool. So mm-hmm. you know I, um, the money is obviously great when you have success. Uh, but it's pretty empty when you, you know, at the end of the day, that's not, you know, it's, we want to be able to leave legacy for our, our our families and we want to be able to put food on the table, but the the other sides of fulfillment are are hugely important.
1: I, I cannot agree more with that. I mean, it's about the journey and the adventure. I mean, you know, we just came back, we had an executive getaway in Whistler. We just got back yesterday. And one thing that my brother actually led in was, I just want to share one weird fact of you, and he shared the number of employees we had. Okay, that's interesting. The number of co-op students we had, but then, how many people have gotten their Canadian citizenship through us? How many times we've had to celebrate these little wins like that, and how many people have graduated and come back? and And it was just like, wow, we made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And you know, just reflect on that. Don't reflect on the 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 profits. You know, the 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 the, the you know how much money did you make? Yeah, yeah. Like on the differences that you made in people's lives too, and honestly, it was it, it was just such a cool thing to go through. So, um, but you know what, I want I want to just go a little bit back because I loved I loved what you're saying, and I think one of the challenges maybe you faced because I failed. My I dropped out of grad school to do my first startup in the ski industry because I I uh, used to be the president of UBC Ski Club, and it seemed to be the right thing to do. So I did my first, you know, 1999, exactly the year you said, Liftpasses.com, and we did great. Total failure because it couldn't raise any more capital. Um, but I learned so much from that failure um, that any 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 business going forward was was easier. Do you think if you had an earlier failure, maybe vision critical or or you know your current would have even been a little bit easier?
0: Because yeah, you were one of I, the lucky ones; you succeeded
1: I, right away. I, That's rare. <laughs> I think
0: so. I think so. And when I talk to other a lot of other entrepreneurs, they often have had. I mean, you know, I was. When I was like 10 years old, I would go to our cabin and I would build these benches out of like stumps and and pieces of cedar. And I'd put on my like little jeans and a jean jacket, put them in a wagon, and I'd knock on people's doors and sell them. And, and uh I'd sort of charm these like ladies into buying this stuff. And I didn't even realize at the time, I thought I was making this great product, but I look back on it it's like it was just sales. And so uh Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have had those, you know, have had those successes. I think, you know, Ryan Holmes talks a lot about, you know, having the amount that he learned through having a pizza shop in Vernon um, and and how that kind of that carries on and the amount I've learned in this one. And so, you know, I think I probably have one left in me after this. And so it'll be interesting to see what that chapter is like.
1: You know, I don't know you that well, but I think you have lots left in you. I'm I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to tell you that I can, there's certain people, you know, you know, there's certain people you meet over the years and you just go, yeah, I'm going to invest in you because I don't like your idea, but I know you're going to be successful with it. I, I got, the, I got the same vibe, you know, maybe um, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just leave, I'll leave. Appreciate I'll leave. it. Well, you know, I want to ask one, one last question about vision, and just leave it because when I had to fold liftpasses.com, it was actually a huge relief for me. Okay. Like that chapter's over. I learned a lot. I sunk a lot of money, but it's a re- relief for me. When you had to walk away from vision critical, what was the feeling? Was it, was it, you know, were you upset? Were you happy? Were you remorseful? What was the initial feeling?
0: Yeah. I mean, I left and, you know, I think there was a lot of, uh, in the last two or three years of vision critical, um, you know, it, 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 it all started to change because there it had been, it, you know you have different kinds of leaders that come in with different kinds of opinions yeah. and um and so yeah it's always kind of bittersweet and you always in your mind you think of like this some kind of uh i think i remember the old videos back when chip wilson used to run lululemon and i think when people mm-hmm. left in their last day like they clapped them out or something like that so you have this idea that everyone's going to be like oh we wish you well and the streamers are going to go and <laughs> it's not like that you kind of go in with your you know shitty little banker's box and you take your stuff out and you kind of slowly get some stuff out and everyone's working, doing their thing. And eventually, you know, you're not, they move on without you and you move on. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of a weird experience, but it's also just sort of part of it's, you know, it's just part of life. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm like one of those weird people where like, I, I kind of enjoy going home from vacations because it means there's another chapter of the next thing going, (laughs) instead of having that idea of like, Oh, I wish I was on the beach still. It's like, no, we did the beach. Now we got to go do the next thing. And so, uh, you know, let's just keep moving forward here.
1: Moving forward. I think that's, I think that's the best, uh, best way to put it. That's, that is freaking awesome. Well, you know what? I'm honestly, again, I kind of touched at the beginning that, that Canadian workplace culture index. I, I think this is such a cool idea because people don't work for companies just based on money. They, they, they have needs and you know, and and offices or or companies can offer very specific things that uh, you know attract people. Can you tell me about the the was it the CWCi? Is that is that CWCI, how say it? CWCi, yeah, that is exactly that. Is it, it. okay? Nice.
0: Um, yeah, that kind of that came out part in a really interesting way. I got a chance to meet the CEO of the Reframe Group, uh, a gentleman named mm-hmm. Antonio, and and he was uh, very interested in and, and had been spending some time on workplace culture and launching some surveys. And we have this innovative technologies. And we also, you know, I also have Angus, my father, who does a lot of research in Canada. So we all banged our heads together and said, you know what, let's let's look at diversity, inclusion and culture. Let's do it in a way with an instrument people really wanna do. And let's do something that a lot of these surveys don't do is they don't often have really good national benchmarks. And so we went ahead and we talked to a thousand people that work at corporate jobs in Canada. We talked to over a thousand people and we asked them uh, in like sort of six categories, about a few different things. We asked about workplace satisfaction. We talked about company cares, how your company cares about you, diversity, inclusion, information, information, and recognition, employee connections and loyalty. And uh, we've created a very cool certification program. That's really easy to run. Uh, We live in a really weird weird world right now. Very interesting Mm -hmm. times where, you know, we found in our, in our in our benchmark survey, that sixty percent of Canadians would leave their job for a pay increase of ten percent or more, which is sort of shocking. And um, you know, all executives now say, and this wasn't the case a few years ago. Ninety-two plus percent of executives are saying that improving workplace culture is a massive priority for them. So I think we're in the right place at the right time. We've created a very interesting way to be able to engage people and do something that's that is biannual where it's not just once a year you know you do that chat and then you get the data back you can implement some changes and you can check in with people six months later and see how that's changed. So we want to do something that's more so than just having you know a shield that you can put on your website along with all the other ones one that really does cut into giving people uh, really good feedback and some good tips on you know how they can drive better culture diversity and inclusion in their workplace.
1: That's awesome. I mean, it's so freaking important, especially as like all these big tech companies are coming in here and drying up a lot of the talent. And, you know, how do you compete? If you can't get the 200K, you know, salaries to the co-ops, how do you compete? And I think, you know, having a good reflective culture is so important for that.
0: Yeah. And I think, and my, I think the challenge is, is that, you know, I'm on LinkedIn like everyone else's and you see everyone's certifications coming up and, you know, (laughs) you want the certifications to get the new people in because they want to know you care, but you also have to really care about the people that are already there. And so therefore how you approach all of this of, you know, uh, you know, I've gone through the motions before at my previous job where you're like, okay, everyone needs to fill this survey out. We got to get this to fold out. We have to make sure we score X or higher so we pass. Let's just mm-hmm. get everyone to do this. And you're at a town hall and you're giving everyone the mandate. You must fill the survey out right now because we need the certification versus something that feels like organic and really mm-hmm. real and genuine. And on the back end, you're going to get some tools to help you understand how to make improvements, I think is, uh, you know, that's what we're about. And it's early days. We just launched this thing, but it seems to be off to a
1: pretty good start. Yeah, I think, I, honestly, I think it's great. We we have to look a little deeper into it too. Um, well, you know, I've got a chicken and the egg question then, since, uh, you know, you recognize that workplace culture is so important. Um, who influences the culture of a workplace more, the exec team or the staff? Oh, the, the, core, the core group of
0: people uh, fully do fully do. And, and if you have a, if you're paying lip service to your people and you are standing up on a podium or giving a keynote on zoom and talking about all the things you care about, you know, if it's not real, the side chatter is happening immediately and people are completely tuning out. And so you having to make sure that you really are relating to people. And mm-hmm. that's why I think it's so important to constantly be thirsty for information and be getting that feedback and wanting to have those candid conversations. You know, I, I recently read, uh, you know, that Netflix book, No Rules Rules, which really talks mm-hmm. about talent density and talks about honest and transparent conversations. And that's, that's what's so important. You need to have this combination of, uh, of being, you know, authentic in how you lead, of being passionate, and then connecting, you know, you know all of the cultural values you have
1: into your business. For sure, for sure. I, I think that's. I mean, the thing I think you touched on it really well. Because I mean, the one thing that I think is interesting is every time we get a whole new round of co ops, um, the culture changes roughly to what they want it to be. Maybe this is a maybe this is a COVID thing, um, and they come in more to the office than anyone else. But I just noticed that 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 lively um, flavoring of new blood that comes in cyclically really changes things slightly in our culture. Um, so, you know, even from, from, I won't call it the lowest level because we're all equals. It says so on our wall, but you know, the, the newer, the newer, uh, the newer, yeah. the newer blood makes a huge difference. And I, I, I get excited every time we get a new set of, uh, of youngins coming in. And,
0: and that's, and you want that. And you want, if you care about diversity, that is oh, yeah. diversity. You want people that are going to come in and maybe challenged from the things you're doing, uh, at the same time you want people you want to enforce what you are all about and you know make sure people know this is you know this is not a this is a you know this is a paid enterprise where we're trying to all work together around some very specific rules and there's some you know i find sometimes it's about explaining that there's a method to the madness and this is the way we do things this is why we do them the way we do them and then being really consistent. Consistency is just so huge. For us, it's also rhythm, just the rhythm of how we run our business. Mm-hmm. And, and having people on that rhythm really does, uh, I think, increase a lot of buy in.
1: I love that it's a heartbeat, man, and everyone's everyone's hearts going together, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love the fact that you're talking about diversity and inclusion because those are Canadian. You know, we 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 will cheer from the highest mountain that these are important to every business to get that reflective nature of uh, of you know everyone's voice and thoughts and how you can make better products because of the different opinions are coming in. So um, I love that uh, you know you have the Canadian answer to this. Um, well, you know what. This is, a, you know, the theme of this podcast is, uh, you know, to, to talk to wonderful, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs like yourself in order to expedite that next generation of, of startups. Um, so I'm going to have my two typical questions I ask. And, uh, you know, the first is, um, can you name an entrepreneurial star? And you've already kind of named a couple of great ones that, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely both know. Um, but can you name an entrepreneurial star on the Canadian side um, or founder that you look up to personally that, that you as a guiding light?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's a few I think that I've done some really interesting things. I'm going to give you a name that a lot of people don't know, um, and that's, that's a guy perfect. from Calgary named Brian Craig. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Craig is one of my investors, him and his wife Shelly Kuypers. Uh, Brian um, has been a tech executive for a long time, he was really involved with a company called Solium. It's a company that's used for match, managing uh, ESOP programs, and he mm-hmm. pulled that company—you know—helped pull that company out of um, some tough times and turned it around and, and orchestrated an amazing uh, sale. He's one of these individuals that very much. Uh, every time I have an interaction with him, I'm always really impressed with how uh, genuine and positive his his spin is on things. He's also mm-hmm. happy to give me, you know, some tough feedback. Uh, a couple others that are just worth mentioning, uh, Mark Miller, who's the CEO of Constellation Software, just super, super talented guy, very, very mm-hmm. smart. Um, and then, you know, one of my good friends is uh, Ryan Holmes, who's always been uh, very, uh, very helpful and very honest in his, uh, in his, in his feedback and, and some of the, uh, that sometimes you need to hear things that uh, you don't want to hear to drive some change.
1: And he's one of those individuals that's never been shy to do that. I bet. I bet. And you know, it's, it's really, well, I mean, it's it's an honor for you to actually have these people in your lives, giving you honest opinions. Cause uh, that's super important. I mean, I, I love the fact that you said it from a very personal perspective, as opposed to, I mean, almost everyone says Toby, you know, uh, from Shopify, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and I think that's, I think that's the best because, you know, Ryan, you know, you, you probably have a lot in common in terms of raising a huge company. That's Vancouver legend. And like, there's not that many people you can talk to who have had success like that. No. And so I think that's great that you do have an open dialogue. Yeah, I um, know. And, and it's just, I mean, the list goes
0: on and on. Ryan Spong with Foodie's done like amazing stuff. There's yeah. just, there's so many people out there. Uh Kyle Campbell, what's going on with CTO.ai, another yeah. amazing human. That was who, awesome. If you haven't had him on your program, you need to.
1: Episode six, I believe. But okay, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, no, Kyle's great. And uh, we go back, we both lifeguarded. Uh, so we had some lifeguarding stories back back in the day. So, um, well, very cool, well, very cool. Well, you know what? One last one then. Hey, what's one piece of advice? If someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, Andrew, I need one piece of advice. I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, for can you help a young Canadian founder out, what would that advice be?
0: Uh, trust your gut, make decisions fast. I mean, especially when you're a, a startup, the amount of times that I have had that feeling of, oh, I don't know about this person, or I don't know if this pitch is really good, but you know, I'm just going to keep trying it and see what happens. And I look back six months later and I think, why the hell didn't I, my body was telling me this is the wrong thing. And and you every, we all have this internal compass that's going on. The thing works amazingly well for you. And so trust that. And if you have someone that's the wrong person, but you're dreading the conversation or the wrong asshole client, pardon my language or whatever. Uh, well, that you, assholes. That especially when you're in that startup mode, you, speed is your, is your friend and, mm-hmm. you know, don't be afraid of making mistakes. And so in that case, you know, lean in on, on making the changes you need to make to make that compass feel like you're heading in the right direction.
1: Awesome, awesome advice, and I know that came from a place of truth because I saw it in your in your eyes and your soul right away when you just went with your gut yourself with that answer. Hey, Andrew, th- thanks so much for joining us today and sharing. You know, an, an amazing, amazing Canadian journey. Um, I, I I was looking so forward to chatting, and and I, you know, what my gut told me exactly why because uh, um, I had I had so much fun uh, doing. Yeah, this. so
0: just been great. Thank you. Well, hopefully, uh, we get a chance to you know have a in person beverage one of these
1: days that i do believe would be an amazing idea and i say we do that soon ahoy afternoon tea listeners if you got this far i assume you like this episode and that is awesome thank you in such a case please rate and review afternoon tea podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at studio. That is... P O D C A S T at TTT, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.